Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, we are talking to Sid Ziegler. He is the co-founder of Outsports and the National Gay Flag Football League. He is the former sports editor for Genre Magazine, former associate editor for The New York Blade, has written for Playboy, MSNBC, CNN, New York Press, and Out Magazine. He's appeared on ESPN, Fox Sports Radio, CNN, MSNBC, as well as contributing to Sports Illustrated. I'm going to link over to a number of projects that he's been involved in. He's also been nominated for a GLAAD Media Awards. And off mic, we also had a conversation about just how powerful the NFL is within the cultural sphere in the U.S. And he pointed me to some research about this. So um, we didn't talk about that in the recorded episode, but I just wanted to let you know that you'll be able to find a link that he pointed me to over there in the show notes. And that reminded me that, of course, we are a few weeks away from the NFL Super Bowl. The listeners uh, of this show in North America will be well aware of that and well aware of that as a time when we talk a lot about commercials and advertising. And I want to let you know that I have an upcoming free webinar about bringing a critical lens to commercials and advertising. That's going to be coming very soon. If you would like to learn about free offerings that I have, uh, one of the best ways to be in the know about that is to subscribe to my free newsletter. You can learn more about that by heading over to allied.org, checking out the show notes. Again, that's A-L-L-Y-E-D.org. Now, please welcome to the show, the incredible Sid Ziegler. In 1999, um, which both feels like yesterday and a very long time ago, you co-founded Outsports. I'd love to actually start by talking about the line, courage is contagious, um, sort of, I, I guess, maybe the mission or the tagline. Can you talk a little bit about why that specific framing is so important to you and your co-founder um, and maybe why it's still a really necessary call to action in the world of sports? Well, 1999 does not feel like yesterday. It feels like a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, um, God, I've got half, almost half my life I've been working on outsports. When we started it in 1999, one of the main reasons we did was because there was just nothing out there for for gay sports fans and nobody was talking about gay athletes or homophobia in sports uh, espn had done one segment bob lee um i think in 1998 but nobody was talking about this and jim bazinski and i were best friends we watched football together we played football together we were gay and so we just we thought we would start this website, mostly for gay football fans, to be honest. And very quickly, we started getting emails from people. Back in the day, social media didn't exist. And people were starting to find us and, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. You know, how do I post my profile on there? Uh, can you talk about the NBA? And very organically just because there was this demand that nobody was servicing our sport started to grow and as we did that through the early 2000s 
a trickle of athletes were reaching out and saying, Hey, I'm a, I'm a college gymnast. I am a former football captain. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to share my story. And that more and more became our main focus at Outsports. And what we learned is that every time we shared a story, somebody else would see that story and say, hey, uh, you know, I I run track in college too. Can I share my story? And there was this kind of domino effect. One of the, one of the biggest stories we ever ran was uh, Connor Mertens was a, a kicker on the Willamette football team, Division Three football. And when he came out, he was the first active college football player to come out. And it was like an explosion. All of these athletes, current college athletes, particularly men's sports, were reaching out to him, reaching out to us. Hey, I want, how do I be part of this community? I want to share my story. And this idea of courage being contagious, that one person demonstrating courage and, and, and coming out it was like I said, this domino effect. It was just this contagion in a good way. I'll tell you when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, we were like, oh, wait a second. Saying something's contagious, that might not be the best idea in the world. So for, for the first month or two uh, of the of the response to the pandemic, we kind of pulled back from it a little bit, um, but quickly returned to it because it really does reflect the the importance of outsports and the importance of people coming out and being out. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And sort of the the COVID comparison makes me realize too, just in the way that, you know, that virus operates, sometimes just being in the space with someone else who is sharing that story, right? That's for me the power of of outsports now that it does exist in this ecosystem where we have social media and those stories can spread so much faster. Um, I'm wondering if that's sort of the, if that's, you know, just really a catalyst for it growing even more exponentially. Um, I, I'm guessing, again, for you in that media landscape, social media probably is both a blessing and, you know, like all things, might sometimes be a curse as well. So I don't know if you're also often fielding a lot of folks who don't like necessarily the spread of those stories. Um, you know, again, if you if you had to sort of characterize what social media has done for outsports, does it feel like it is a balance of both things? I have a pretty thick skin. Uh, that's a good thing. Again, when we started, we would get emails. I would get emails regularly, you know, calling me slurs and saying that gay gay men don't belong in the locker room and um there are people that said we literally don't exist like, like literally there are no gay people in men's professional sports and wh- so why are you even trying which of course even at the time we knew was flat out false because we knew of some social media of course has been a, a positive thing for us on our instagram account is almost exclusively 95 to 99 percent of what we share there are images of out athletes with quotes from them about coming out and being out in an attempt to inspire other people to do the same one of the interesting responses so when we run stories of athletes coming out it's uh overwhelmingly positive but yes there are on facebook some people will come and comment who cares? And I've written a couple of 
columns about how who cares has become code for I hate gay people. We run, you know, why? Who cares if somebody's gay? You know, I don't say that I'm straight. Why? Why are you even writing this? This is a non-story. No, no, no. And what they're really saying is, I hate gay people, and I don't want you being out. So it, it is. It is this code word, and that we call people on all the time. And every single time we run a coming out story, we get the who cares. So, so of course, social media is a mixed bag depending on where you go. I mean, Twitter is just a cesspool. Mostly, um, Facebook is a little bit better, and Instagram tends to be pretty, pretty positive. Though from time to time, we 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 delete comments, but a lot of times instead of deleting the comments, we just take them head on. That's that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Sorry, you have to deal with uh, that that communication. Oh, wait, um, no. Honestly, don't be sorry. I'm glad for it. I'm glad when people expose who they are and what they think. I'm glad that people are still out there saying essentially in coded language, I hate gay people. So it's a reminder that, yeah, our job isn't done. Another interesting thing, so kind of the the flip side of that is there are recently, I guess it's been going on for a long time, but we'll see messages like their intention is to be positive to say, you know, I look forward to a day when this isn't a story anymore. And what they mean is, I, I, I hope that our society comes to a place where gay people don't have to come out, where they just where they just are. And I always push back and say, I hope we never get to that place where our diversity is not something we celebrate. We should be celebrating gay athletes and black athletes and female athletes. And there should never be a time when we feel like we can't celebrate these stories. And and those people often say, oh, I didn't I didn't mean anything, and I understand that I, I, your, your your intention is good, but this idea that we shouldn't have to celebrate diversity, I just I just reject that. I appreciate that framing so much. Um, I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's a lot to be said for embracing and appreciating the full complexity of what it means to be human. And you know, as a as a long time sort of sports fan and just admirer of sports when I think about what it is that I appreciate about it now, like at middle age when I'm not necessarily like out on the field in the way that I once was is because I think sports is that ecosystem where we can observe like all of our human emotions in a way that doesn't necessarily play out in in day to day. And um, you've recently published the 20 most read stories from out sports listeners. I'll be sure to link to it. Um, it's a really interesting, I, I think, look back and, you know, you've published in so many different places from Playboy to the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, many, many more. I'm wondering when you look back on your career and you think to where our attention is today in regards to sports and inclusion, what's an important shift that you're seeing? Well, one is that, again, when we started there was this idea that gay men literally can't play football and certainly not in the NFL. They, they, they are not strong enough. And if you combine all of the men's professional sports leagues, top, top level leagues around the world, the NFL has more current and former athletes who have come out publicly than all of them combined. So this football, for some reason, has 
as somehow, despite how we perceive American football being tough and macho, has attracted more gay men to it. And and those gay men have felt the courage and strength to come out publicly at a level not seen by any other sports league in the world. And when we started out sports, this idea that gay men just can cannot play football, that that has just changed. No, I don't see that anywhere. I never hear that anymore. Whereas 20 years ago, I heard it all the time. And it's been, you know, really tough guys like Ezra Tuolo and Carl Massive and Ryan O'Callaghan, big six foot seven, 300 pound guys who could throw you around like a rag doll coming out. I think people have just realized, okay, <laughs> I guess gay men can play football. So that's been one big shift. And another would definitely be the, 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 the way that professional sports teams have embraced the community, the idea that virtually every single professional sports team in North America, outside of the NFL, and I'll get to that in a minute, has uh, has a pride night. I, that is shocking. When I tried to have a pride night with the New York Mets in 2004 or five, they were not interested. I had to go to their office. It, I had to really sell people on the idea that you can have a pride night and it's going to be okay. And of course it wasn't. And the fact that they now all have one is amazing. The, the main reason most NFL teams don't is number one, uh, most of them, it's really hard to find a block of tickets. A lot of NFL games sell out. Um, and then the other part is they only have eight home games a season. Whereas in Major League Baseball, they have 81. So just it, it's I, I've talked to NFL teams are like and some of them have done little things. They've focused on preseason, but it's been it, that has been hard to break through in the NFL. But it's not because the NFL hates gay people. It's just the, the way the NFL schedule is set up. Oh, that's interesting. You know, and it you have me thinking about how I've noticed, and I don't know if this has changed or my attention is just drawn to it uh, more now. There's a, an exercise actually that I've done with students where they're drafting, you know, we're working on like a club's mission statement or a class's mission statement. And often what we'll do is we'll look at, you know, I've noticed professional sports teams now have mission statements and it's not necessarily what somebody might expect, which is like, you know, win all of our games, become the champions in our leagues. Often it's much bigger, bigger picture stuff, right? Like they do see that they have a place and a role. You know, young people are looking to them. They're watching like, what are they really for? So much more of a, you know, like a community driven sort of vision. And I don't know if that's something that sports professional sports teams have taken on more recently, like, you know, I think the the WNBA, for example, does a really great job of communicating their values and coming back to that again and again. Uh, but, you know, again, I when I was a kid, I couldn't go to the website for the Mets. It didn't exist at that point in the 80s yet. So I'm wondering, you know, do you think that sports teams have always understood young people look to us, learn from us? Um, or do you think that's something that has also kind of evolved? The WNBA is a great example. Back in the very early days of the WNBA, I had a friend who was an executive with one of the teams. And he said that the, the, the front offices and the, and the lead front office were 
having open conversations about how to tamp down lesbianism in the league, how to make sure that athletes don't come out, how to make sure they look pretty because they didn't want to alienate families because, of course, lesbians would alienate families. That has completely turned upside down. Now more than a quarter of the league is publicly out as LGBT. Uh, you have multiple coaches who are. So, and they're extremely successful when they came out with the list of the top 25 players of all time. Many of them were out. So I think across sports, that has changed. That that you look at the, the response um, by the NFL and the teams to DeMar Hamlin's injury, the Buffalo Bills player who, you know, heart stopped on the field. They stopped the, the game. They've said they're not playing it. And and the, the reaction from the, every single one of the teams changed their avatar to support him online. Uh, many of the owners donated tens of thousands of dollars to his charity, which now is about $8 million. I think fandom has changed. I think that teams have changed. I think most of the like the coaching and the the coaches still want to win. They get fired if they don't. doesn't matter how diverse their team is. If they don't win, they're out. So, but, but I think that it's 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 kind of the this push and pull of the the need of the players to to keep their career going as long as possible, make money. The coaches need to win. And the front offices and the people in the front office realizing that their community is much more diverse than they thought. And that their role in promoting that is important. So, you know, sports is a, is a, is a push and a pull of all these different factors and priorities. But yes, yeah, so the, the priorities of the teams, a lot of teams have have definitely shifted more toward commu- being community focused and diversity focused. Yeah, I think again, it's a it's a really interesting exercise for students to go and look like what is the mission statement of your favorite athletics teams? Because you know, often it's not necessarily. Um, what what you might expect. Um, your highlight reel, so to speak, as a journalist and storyteller, like you don't really need me to tell you it's impressive, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring up how impressive it is, just the number of awards you've won and been nominated for. Um, the audience of this show, of course, you know, many of whom will want to inspire the next generation of storytellers and journalists. I'm wondering if you might just pick out one of the projects that's sort of near and dear to your heart and talk to us a little bit about kind of the behind the scenes process, because I think sometimes in the realm of writing and storytelling, filmmaking, um, there's kind of this like uh, assumed genius, like he just knew how to do it and he did it. Um, And, um, you know, just like with with athletes, right, there's there's so many hours that go into becoming the athlete who they are. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of um, tell us a little bit about some of the I don't know, maybe lesser known moments that helped you out in your journey. Well, I would say one wasn't, I'll give you one that was not lesser known and one that is. Michael Sam was an NFL prospect in 2014. And the officiant at my wedding is a guy named Howard Bragman, who was a big publicist in Hollywood. And I got a text message from Howard one day that simply said, the Eagle has landed. And somehow... I knew what he meant was I have an NFL player who's going to come out. I don't know how, as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, wow, this is going to happen. And Howard, you know, he and I started talking multiple times a day about what this could look like, how this could go down. 
And I wanted the story. I, I wanted to tell Michael Sam's story. And Howard said, no. He said, I'm giving it to the New York Times and ESPN. Maybe one other, but I think it was the New York Times and ESPN. And I was like, really, Howard? I'm helping you and you're not going to let me interview him for the story. And he said, Sid, I'm going to give you something better. You are going to be involved in every intimate conversation about how this is going to go down. The timing, who, where, when you're going to talk to the agents. I'm not going to give you his coming out story. I'm going to give you a better one. And I realized very quickly, oh, that is a better one. <laughs> so, so it was amazing to be intimately involved in that, how, you know, first it was going to be April and then it was going to be March and then it was going to be February. And then very quickly word was spreading and journalists were contacting Howard and me because um, they knew that the story was coming and how we had to get ahead of this avalanche that was coming at us of people, you know, potentially breaking the story without talking to Michael. And the New York Times had their story and ESPN had their story. And interestingly, and I had mine, which was the TikTok of how this all went down from that first text message to Howard, the meeting, Michael, blah, blah, blah. and the New York Times, at their, their year end internal review, the, they had five, they listed five, I think it was like five stories that the editorial board was disappointed about. And they said, we had the Michael Sam story. How did this guy get the better story we got the interview and he had the better story how did that happen so that was you know that was years of working with people and building trust one of the things that i get a lot even when i um you know i criticize the nfl i criticize the nba and um brian mccarthy is the the pr guy with the nfl and he said to me one day he said sid i always know you're going to be fair you may criticize us i may disagree with what you say but you're always going to be fair. And I think that building that reputation has, has gotten me some good stories. Another one that pops to mind, Tom Brenneman was a Cincinnati Reds broadcaster. And a couple of years ago, he, he didn't know the mic was on and he used the F-bomb gay slur. And he was quickly suspended and then fired from his job there and with Fox Sports calling the NFL. And I wrote a column and said, I don't think that Tom Brenneman should lose his job I just don't think that people who make a mistake should have their career ended. I, that's just me, Sid. I don't, I don't think that's the best way forward. And Tom contacted me and he said, I really appreciate what you wrote. And he and I started engaging in a year-long series of conversations. He, he, he talked to countless people in the Cincinnati area who are LGBT leaders, non-leaders, private conversations. And he let allowed me to take a look at what he had been doing to learn and to rectify the mistake that he made things that hadn't been reported you know he wasn't doing them so they'd be reported and i had to you know push and push and push and he finally said okay i will i'll introduce you to these folks um and you write what you need to write and and so this i wrote this column earlier last year does tom Bernavin deserve a second chance and the reason that I was able to write that again was just, I was honest. I was thoughtful. I was, this guy knew he could trust me. I wasn't going to screw him over. And I thought, I, I, I thought that was a piece that I, you know, I take a lot of pride in that 
just kind of behind the scenes of what ha what happens when somebody does this and they really regret it. Like, it's not just, oh, I got caught. They really understand that they made a mistake. So those are a couple of stories that jumped to mind. I'm wondering, as you're talking about those examples of, you know, the cultivating trust, the building relationships, the integrity, the patience piece too, right? That a story isn't an idea and then the next day, you know, it's published, people are, are watching, reading. Um, I'm wondering if a lot of those, you know, your capacity there comes from your experience also as an athlete. Do you see some similarities in athletics and the realm of, of journalism storytelling? I, my, I mean, I, I don't know. Certainly my knowledge of sports is important. I, I think being a gay man and reporting on these issues, if you don't know sports and you don't understand how teams work, I think that shows and people in sports can tell, okay, well, this is just a, a gay reporter, but I'm a sports writer who is gay. I'm not just a gay writer and I can talk sports. I particularly the NFL, the NFL and football, I'm a high school football referee. I, I, I worked college football for a few years before it became too much work. I can talk football with anybody. So, and I think that really shows I can talk football. I can, I can, I, you know, talk about the different roles of the different players and this, and, and then I can ask you about homophobia in the locker room. I, my, another story that I'm really proud of is Michael Irvin. I wrote a cover story for out magazine of the NFL hall of famer, Michael Irvin and having a gay brother and his thoughts on gay rights. And it was a huge story because he appeared shirtless on the cover of a gay men's magazine. And this is like, a man's man this is a straight man's man and for him to do that and open up to me over you know it was, again it was that knowing him being i actually i remember talking with michael the first time i met him um i knew his co-host on his radio show in 2008 and the co-host was like you gotta have sit on and michael's like i have some gay guy some random gay guy come on talk football and I, it was like chiefs bills or something and he's like, okay, break break the game down. And I did. And he started laughing. He's like, wait a second. I, you just broke that game down like a pro. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, like, yes, gay guys can talk football. It was like this revelation to him, like, <laughs> and I and, and I could do that and make him laugh. And I could also break down these games. So and even he went on to NFL network, he said, well, I want to feed you the games I need to analyze. I want you to analyze them for me. So I don't, you know, being an athlete, understanding sports, understanding the, the intricacies of the sports, of course, that all gives me credibility with people who otherwise may have overlooked me. I see that entirely. And and I, I think I'm I'm also thinking about just, you know, there's a question that get asks that's asked a lot. And sports is kind of the lens that I like to go to and answering it. And it's the question around, you know, do folks have the capacity to grow and change? And I think my experience with sports is one that's really influenced the way that I think about that, because I think it can be a different coach. It can be a different team. And you're a completely different player on that team. And I'm wondering, you know, with some of the examples you've given and your capacity to see 
okay, somebody made a mistake, but that doesn't have to be the end of the story, right? They can grow and shift and change from there. Uh, I, I guess I'm wondering if there's just something almost like philosophical about seeing that capacity for change, even with, you know, what Outsports is attempting to do, right? There are all of these misconceptions about what it means to be, you know, a, a queer person, about what different sports, um, you know, as you've been saying, like the NFL, you have to be this type of, of person to be an NFL athlete. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm wondering, like, is there something there just in your ability to see we can shift those misconceptions, right? We can get past those stereotypes. Yeah, I've said for years that one of the most damaging stereotypes is this idea that professional athletes in men's sports are all these homophobic Neanderthals. If you make it to professional sports, so for example, the NFL, you have to go to college for a couple of years. Um, most of the players in the NBA and the NHL and a lot in Major League Baseball, certainly in soccer, they go from one team to another. You know, you go from a high school team, then to your college team, then to maybe a second college team, then to a pro team, then another pro team. And all through that, you are coming in contact with Christians, atheists, black, Hispanic, Polynesian, tall, short, everything in between. And you learn that people are different. And more and more as people are coming out, uh, th th these players are playing with gay athletes and realizing, oh, this really isn't what it was, what we were told it was going to be. This is not a big deal. And so, yes, ath athletes are, you have to be pretty, well, I guess, depending on the sport, um, <laughs> you have to have some mind about you. You have to know plays. You have to. And through all the exposure to all the different cultures, your your attitude shifts. And so so athletes can change. They have changed. I've asked numerous NFL um, players, some gay like Ryan McCallaghan, um, some straight like Michael Irvin and Chris Cluey, about language in the locker rooms. And they say, every one of them, in high school, they heard F-bombs and, and homophobia all the time from, you know, their fellow teenagers in college, less so it was, you heard it from time to time, but it was rare. And they say in the NFL locker room, you never ever hear it because they have evolved from that bully in, in the high school locker gym locker room that you experienced to professionals and they have, over that time, they have changed and they have learned to change their behavior. They, their language changes, their attitude changes. And to me, this idea of just them all being homophobic Neanderthals is a stereotype that we, we, we try to fight against because it's just not true. Last question for you. Again, start of a new calendar year. Is there a story athlete team or a league that you feel super motivated about watching and reporting on in 2023? The NFL. Or just all of it. All of okay. it. <laughs> Look, in, in, in the United States, football is king. All these studios and networks spend all of this money to create sitcoms and dramas and crime stories and reality show the number one tv show in america is the nfl period full stop if you look at 
the 20 highest rated episodes that, that are broadcast last year, I was like 19 are, are NFL games. NFL is the most powerful cultural institution in America. And that's one of the reasons that we've spent so much time and energy at Outsports writing about football. Because if you can, if you can, if we can win football and we can change how people look at football and gay football players, the rest is easy. It's it because it is such a powerful cultural institution. It is regarded as so masculine and so tough and so strong. And we have we've changed not only how people look at the NFL, but how the NFL looks at itself. Right. Thank you for that. And um, again, folks, we'll be pointing you. I'm going to I'm going to make sure in the show notes that I've got a few of my my favorite recent links from Outsports. Um, it's a great space to follow. And definitely, I think, as you've said, sports has real power, culturally speaking, you know, changing the narrative around inclusion. So thank you so much. Um, you're right. 1999 was a very long time ago. And just for Outsports to have survived, you know, we we see so many different media institutions not necessarily being able to sustain all of the the, the changes. So it's just a remarkable achievement that you're still here. It's thriving. Um, and I, again, just look forward to seeing it grow. Thanks so much.